I'm Justin. And I'm Blake. And this is the How Do You Figure podcast. Blake. Yes, Justin. How do you feel about Star Trek? I like a lot of Star Trek, but there's so much of it that there's about half that I'm just fine missing. I really like Star Trek, but it's not like one of my top fandom thing. That's the perfect way to describe it. It's something I really enjoy, but it's almost the way I treat sports. If I fall off, I fall off, and then oh, one day God. they're like, get back in. Your team's winning. I mean, I, I, show up. I like Star Trek, uh, but there's only so much room in the nerd brain for things you can obsess over. So it's one of those things that I've kind of like put put to the side. Like, I like it, but I don't collect it. Right. But I was always very jealous of people that did back in the 90s because of that Playmate Star Trek line because it just looked so cool. Right. And I wanted to know more about Star Trek. I wanted to get more into Star Trek because I liked those figures. So it's funny you say that. And then we'll introduce our guests because I know now I'm just rambling. I was at uh, Old Orchard Mall in Skokie, Illinois, featured in the hit film Mean Girls, but not really. It's actually an outdoor mall, not the indoor one in the movie. And they were having this just like book fair outside of it. And I was with my mom and I was like six or seven. It was the mid nineties, like 96, 97. And I found, I was like, let's go look for toys. We found this Star Trek toy. I knew nothing about it. I was a big Star Wars guy. I was a big Terminator guy, Nintendo, Pokemon. That's where I was in the nineties. Tech decks, skateboarding, all of that. But I needed to know more and we bought it. And it turns out my mom and my dad were like old school Star Trek fans And so my mom was like, we should show him Star Trek. And my dad said, not yet, because he's used to Star Wars. And this is like real sci-fi. And not more than like a few weeks later, they were running a marathon of old Star Trek. And my dad was like, all right, well, here we go. But be cautious. It's a slower, headier time. But I loved it. And I just watched all of it. And it became a way to connect with my parents and like bridge our family's pop culture and nerd references. But it was this like 12 inch toy that matched nothing else on my shelf and nothing else in my toy box. Oh, what what was the toy? I've been trying to figure it out. I've been ever since we were having you on, I've been like texting my mom and my dad, like you've got to find this one toy and they can't find it. And I've been like looking through the line and I can't remember who it was. You got to fill up that Instagram feed and then with that picture. I know I'm, I'm going to find it as soon as you sure it was 12 inches. It might have been six, but it was bigger than my Star they Wars They did do ones. some larger 12-inch figures. Though. Could yeah. it have been nine? If that's true. Because there was quite a, there were quite a few nine-inch figures as well. Yeah. I think almost like 50 or 60. There was a lot. Maybe I have it written more. down somewhere in my notes. Ah, traveler, welcome to the promenade. Humble Quark at your service. Behold, Star Trek Deep Space Nine action figures. Commander Benjamin Sisko, he helps me run the station. And Security Chief Odo, very strict and sneaky for someone so honest. Here's Lieutenant Dax, Chief O'Brien, and Major Kira Nerys. I happen to know she's crazy about me. Wonderful, aren't they? Especially this one. So handsome. Pains me to part with it, but if you pay me now, ah, security, what a pleasant surprise. Well, joining us today to talk Star Trek, specifically Playmate Star Trek line from the 90s, Jason Inman. Thank you. Thank you for letting me beam into this podcast in the very, very long intro. I'm very curious to leave, like an actual <laughs> podcast time where we come into the episode. I love this. Oh, uh, we'll see. Uh, but it fits for <laughs> Justin a, actually cuts me entirely out oh, of the show. Man. I think it fits with the a very, very, very too long toy line Playmate Star Trek. <laughs> 
I, how long this line is is insane. It's 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 nuts. Um, that was kind of like I feel like that was kind of like Playmates thing in the nineties. Like they made thousands like of Ninja Turtles, far, yeah. and then eventually with uh, the world of Springfield line for the Simpsons, they made mm. just about everybody you would well, want you there. Yeah. Summertime Smithers. I liked all of them. <laughs> no complaints. Yeah, just the fact that I will say that the fact that we were getting a Simpsons toy line at that point because it had never been done was just like, who cares? Give us more. Yeah. Give us more. And they did make every character. It just like they made every I literally think they made every character, with the exception, of course, the new Discovery stuff in Star Trek. You can find that action figure, which is part of the reason why I love the line and also hate it, but I love it more than I than I hate it. Um I, I first got into Star Trek um through Encounter at Farpoint, the very first episode of The Next Generation. And the reason why I watched it was because when Next Generation premiered, it was a news event. Like, I don't know if you remember this. Oh, yeah. It was a big deal that Star Trek was coming back. My parents, who are uh, very poor Kansas farmers, and I say that poor with loving because I grew up on that same poor farm. Right. They don't like sci-fi. They hate it. They think it's stupid. They don't like anything fantasy and sci-fi, stuff like that. They were going to watch that episode because the news talked about it so much. So I watched that episode with them, 6.30 on a Saturday night back in 1987, and I was in, like, Flint. And I watched every single Star Trek episode live or within a week of its airing from that point forward. Uh, with the exception of Discovery. Uh, you know, I was getting around on that, but whatever. But uh, that main line there, I watched it. And I love Star Trek so much that one of my first toys is a metal, I don't think it was Playmates, I think it was the, because Star Trek The Next Generation went to a company pre-Playmates. Yeah, Galoob had the license first. Yeah, so I have the Galoob metal Enterprise D that actually let you do the saucer separation. And I still have it, it's on my desk right now, and you could tell that I played with it so much because the blue in the decels is gone. And also, (laughs) we had this concrete slab out behind uh, our house, and I dropped that Enterprise so many times flying around the galaxy that the right nacelle is bent up a little bit further than it should be. But isn't that kind of how you want the toys you played with to yeah. be? Yeah. Like, there really yes. is something about that kind of air of like, remember when these were toys? And now there is so much of like, well, it has to be perfect and yeah. pristine. And it's like, I don't know, anybody can fix up a nice car, but it's good to be like, you got some mileage under mm-hmm. that hood. You want to <laughs> see a few battle wounds. Yeah. Yeah, the Galoop line seemed to come and go pretty quickly. Yeah. It, uh, they weren't really known for their action figures. Uh, Micro Machines was Galoob's main oh, yeah. thing. And there's some um, great Star Trek Micro Machines, by the way. Yeah. I still have some of those as well. Uh, but yeah, the line eventually, the license eventually ended up at Playmates. Uh, do you remember seeing the Playmates figures for the first time? Um, the I do, and I don't remember when it was. I have to imagine that it was a while into the line because I can remember going to a Walmart and seeing the Playmates Star Trek action figures, and it was an Andorian. And if you Google this Andorian action figure, he they gave him like a bright pink boa. And if you if you ever remember the episode in the original series with the Andorian, yeah, he was wearing sort of a pink thing, but it wasn't like this giant furry pink boa. And I remember as a kid being like, what the hell is that? And also, I think even as a kid being like, they made the Andorian? Really? Like, that? where's Picard? Like, where is Picard? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> but the like, Andorian. Picard was one of the hardest figures to find, I remember. I, I remember as a kid looking for the Captain Picard Playmates action figure in his just normal uniform it was nearly impossible. I never found it. 
Never found it. That would, goes against like all toy company logic. Yeah. Like the toy companies would tell you that there has to be weird aliens mm-hmm. to sell these to kids because no one's going to buy a Picard. Yeah. They don't want yeah. an old bald guy I, in a suit. I remember being, and this is the great thing about the Playmates line is that they made all the variations of the different figures. So you could find Picards, but it would be Picard as like Dixon Hill, who is the, <laughs> the film noir. He could look like a normal right. detective. Or you could find Picard in. Um, his clothes from family, which if you've seen that, that's the episode where he uh, he deals with the suffering from the Borg, and he sort of wears like a pirate, a green pirate shirt. They made an action figure of that. So was this frustrating to you at all? Because it, it, there were Picards aplenty, mm-hmm. but there wasn't the true Picard. God, yes. And when I was like, even younger, and now even, like, collecting toys, there's always a uniform or a costume to me that is that character. Yeah. Cyclops will always be the 90s Cyclops with his yellow and blue in his visor. That's what I want. I don't want this red Marvel Now nonsense. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there was just always this swarm of, like, Sunday Best Bards and Picard from this episode that maybe you missed. Yeah. And it's like, why would it be so hard? Because these Star Trek characters, to me, were a little, like, palette swaps. They did all these variations, but sometimes it was, like, a Sub-Zero Scorpion. It's just a yellow ninja and a blue ninja and a red one. Just do another red one that he started with. I I think a big reason why is because I think when they made the mold for the uniform... They could just easily recolor it and switch it out. Like I think right. that's the reason why we got to me. And, and fun fact, uh, I have a specific story towards one of those swaps. And is it okay that we're just going deep cut right out? Sure. The all right. Yeah, let's do it. Um, this is a deep line. Right, let's great. dive in. Uh, there's a little magazine out there called Toy Fair. Is anybody? Oh, yeah. Toy oh yeah. Fair? Okay, Wizard Magazine's little spinoff magazine. They used to do this thing where you could send in to get the exclusive action figure. The only one I ever sent in, because they were a little higher priced, I think they were like right. 30 bucks a pop, which I think was the only way the magazine could make it profitable. The only one I did was the Playmates exclusive Star Trek figure, which was Captain Picard, although he wasn't Captain Picard. He was Lieutenant Picard from the TNG episode Tapestry. And this was an episode where Q uh, showed Picard, like if he had made a different decision in his life, he was less uh, averse to risk-taking. And so Picard, in that timeline, became just a lowly science officer on the Enterprise and had a green uniform, and they made an action figure of the green Picard. Um, until very recently, that was the only Picard I ever had, was Picard really great, <laughs> Lieutenant Picard. <laughs> See, I think that's great. Like, I, that's what I like about the Star Trek line, is that that they did a bunch of wacky Picards. And not only did they do a bunch of wacky Picards, they're all Picards that existed. Yeah. There's no Arctic freeze Picard. There's no black costume Picard. There are, there, there, there was one line that playmates did because you could tell like towards the end of their line, because their line, I think existed for about a decade. Yeah. 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 There's so many of these figures. They, you could tell they were starting to get desperate a little bit because I think they had exhausted every variant of every character by this point. So, they did this series called Starfleet Academy, where uh, they did the main heroes of, I think, the original series in TNG, and they put them in sort of battley space uniforms that were never seen on the show and never seen in the comic books. But there they are, and there they are. And, and fun fact, I just a couple of days ago, I just saw that at New York Comic Con, IDW publishes the Star Trek comic books. Yeah, They're making the 
Dr. Beverly Crusher cadet uniform from this line, <laughs> canon. They're putting it in a comic book now. <laughs> the nerd culture is out of control. A matter of time. Everything has to be everything has to exist, everything yeah. has to be canon. Yeah. It's just it's Which is just a little ex- <laughs> but that's also speaking to kind of how deep this Star Trek line is. Going back to when I got into it and even kind of how I feel about it now. The barrier of entry for Star Trek to me has always been so much higher mm-hmm. than almost any other piece of nerd culture. I would say second only to Doctor Who. Yeah. yeah. Doctor Who is more complicated. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Because yeah. even like the toys, like you say, you walk in and it's like, well, here's 20 Picards. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, okay, well, uh, this one was featured in Family, which until you said it, I would not have known who that is in Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, you would have been like, oh, Pirate Picard. Ah, What's families. This? Everyone has one of those. <laughs> and it just, it gets wild. And this line yeah. gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And what's fascinating to me is like from a completionist standpoint. And I get, I'm weird with completionism because I want the ones I want, but I don't need like 20 different battle droids from Phantom Menace. Oh, sure, sure. I don't need 10 camo stormtroopers. I just need like two. Um... But there are people who are like, I want all of it. And like per like the research I did before this, it's 350 toys in the four and a half inch line. And that's one, of, that's one of the reasons why I was so jealous of people that were really into it and collected the line. is because it was just endless. Like there was always something new to buy. And I love that. Well, that, that, and that, that's what makes it cool for collecting is that with 300, many toy lines don't have 350 there is usually like what 80 50 if yeah that, you know if they even get that far but you could spend your entire life and maybe not cross 300 and not even know about that yeah. like this is almost yeah, yeah. deeper than like what the super smash brothers roster is becoming mm-hmm. it's just an endless wave of references and costumes like i think the only line that could possibly beat star trek playmates line for the number of characters would be maybe the kenner star wars because right when that broke, when the special edition, they did the same thing. They made, like, everybody. They made Camel Face, for God's sake. Yeah. Sense. And that was another one where you had, like, Han and Endor Han yep. and Hoth Han and yeah. Han Solo's that never existed. I had one with a jetpack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember, because I was working at a comic book store during the time that the Playmates line was happening. And the ones that everyone were, like, flipping out over were these really limited ones. I believe we're the same num- number made as the number on the Enterprise. 1701. 1701. Oh, yeah. I don't I don't know specific. I know of or about what People you're talking People were going about. nuts yeah. for these it. things. I was hoping, because I was trying to look this up too, and I can find nothing about it. So I was really hoping well, that someone there, was going to answer do, all my questions. If you've seen the Netflix documentary, The Toys That Made Us, they do the Playmate Star Trek line. Yeah. And in that, they talk about that the 1701 exclusives are what killed the line. Hmm. Because they said that that because for some reason, only 1,700 people could get it. So they said that people from that point forward either said, well, I can never have a complete collection, so I'm done. Or the idea of that people just would be endlessly frustrated that they could never find it. Well, and you've also, like from a business marketing standpoint, and I am by no means an elite business mind, but if you're going to sell a product and go, just Mm $1,700, you have a finite amount of revenue you can make. And once you're done, you're done. Well, the other thing is, too, that because of all these problems, 
uh, it wasn't like the first or second 1701, but like three or four down the line, they realized that and they opened it up and they made it bigger. And then people were just like, oh, well, this is not special anymore. Yeah. Well, and that was the thing is they killed it with like limited editions, mm-hmm. retail exclusives. And then the more you open that up, the more the word limited edition is meaningless. Yeah. Which is a very weird boat to be in because on the one hand, I'm all about people getting as much of stuff as they want. If you want a product, I think you should be able to get it. The other side of that coin is if you're going to make it special for the people who have it, it needs to be special some way, yeah. right? Like it's kind of a weird catch-22 I find myself in a lot of like, well, I want everybody to be able to get the thing they want, but like, is it is it right in, for the people who like, I think about... This is a weird reference, but uh, issue 50 of Batman by Tom King came out a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And they hyped it up as the marriage between Catwoman and Batman. And I got a lot of people who don't read comics but want something special to come in. Then they don't get married. So you've burned a lot of potential new readers. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is a similar boat where if you're like, everybody come in and get this awesome, special thing. People are like, great, this is great. I'm going to get into toys now. I'm going to watch more Star Trek. And then you pull that rug out from under them. I was going to be like, kick rocks. Like, also, like, it created a frenzy of people buying them to try to make a profit. Right. Like, it was big it, in the 90s. Yeah. It, it brought scalpers to the Star Trek line that I feel like before were kind of not paying any attention to mm-hmm. it. I remember the, uh, the Counselor Troy figure was a highly scalped figure. Oh, yeah. It was hard to find. Never find it, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but between her and the 1701s, scalpers kind of weren't paying much attention to the line because you could find pretty much everything. Yeah. And yeah. when those 1701s hit, it became like the first destination that scalpers went to when the stores opened in the morning. Like all of a sudden, you had like Hot Wheel guys that were there looking for treasure hunts looking at the Star Trek figures because they wanted to try to find one of these 1701s. Suddenly you've made all the people who might not care, care, but now they're going to pay twice the market value and the company's not going to get that money. Like, they got a little bit of the money when someone else bought it, but... So, Blake, I I have a confession. Yes. Myself, not being a huge Star Trek fan and not collecting this line, I do have a Counselor Troy Mint and package. Whoa! Did you find it at the shop? How'd you get it? And I also have a uh, 1701. Which one? Picard. Oh, okay. So that's what I found. I found, it's funny, it's the Picard from Tapestry. I mentioned that earlier, but it's him in the, like, Wrath of Khan uniform. That is also an awesome packaging font. Yeah, yeah. That looks so cool. I I picked up both of those only because they were rare. Are they still in pretty good mint condition? Pretty good condition, yeah. I wonder if they'd be worth anything now. Let me pull them out and see. You should. See, you know, see if you down payment on a mortgage or something like that. But I feel, I feel bad about it. I um, <laughs> Today, I would not do something like that. I think we've all been gotten wrapped into hype, though. There's yeah. been a lot of things that I've bought where I'm like, why did I? Okay. Yeah. I mean, at the time, like, I bought a lot of McFarlane toys at the time. And oh, I did, too. A lot of comics that I never read. But I feel like the difference is, like, no one really cared about finding those McFarlands that I was buying. No. There were a lot of Star Trek fans that wanted this 1701. Yep. And here I am with one. And, uh, you know. A sheep in I wasn't, clothing. I wasn't enjoying it the way that I'm sure. I, I, I don't know what that episode is. I don't know uh, what that Picard really is. Um, it's him as a cadet. 
Tim right out of the academy. That's why it like has the Wrath of Khan uniforms because it was he's so old that he was in the previous movie continuity with his uniforms. So there you go. I'd just like to apologize to you <laughs> and to I think all. It's better that than it's on eBay for five hundred dollars. That's right. If I'm being honest, right. you at least have a deep passion yeah. for toys and all right. a perfectly fine passion for Star Trek. Well, one of the, a little bit better. You guys would know better than me because you've talked to other people about other action figure lines. But one of the things that also seems pretty unique to me about the Playmate Star Trek toys is the fact that they had these four and a half inch figures. Which I understand later they only did to that size so they could make bridge play sets and like shuttle play sets and stuff like that. They also later did other action figures that were six inch. Yeah. Like for some of the, so a couple of the movies they did like six inch figures. And then they also had, are they nine or 12, but they're like dolls? They're both. sort of like dolls. Yeah, they, they had nine both nine and so 12. They had all of those at the same time. There was a lot of weird stuff with the Star Trek line that I even remember growing up that was borderline confusing because I do like my power of the force toys are all synced up and they line up and they match. And my Simpsons ones all line up and they match. And Star Trek was this like hodgepodge of sizes and ships and colors and characters and episode specific people. And then even like some of these toys in this line had RPG elements. Like they would come with phasers that would mean certain things. Like it was one of the few toys that had like stats so not only if you, like, played with it, you could be like, well, you know, I shot my phaser, and it's a plus two. They would give almost every character a phaser and a tricorder and a little computer and whatever. But they wouldn't actually, and this frustrated the crap out of me as a kid, they wouldn't actually paint them the colors they were in the show. So you, if you look at these packages, these phasers, they'd be, like, bright neon orange. And yeah. you'd be like, that's not what a phaser looks like. I hate this. And so I would hardly ever give any of my action figures their accessories, even though I wanted to. As far as the different scales go... And I don't know enough about the Playmates line to say this was the main reason, but I know a lot of times the scale changes occur just because the toy companies are trying to figure out a way that they can sell you that same character over again. Oh, yeah. And a lot of times just changing the scale will do, we'll do that. We'll do and it. nowadays, I don't think you would see one company make all of these scales. Like nowadays, the license is spread out over a bunch of different companies. So one company is doing twelve inch, and another's doing nine, and another's doing eight, and another's doing like six. Part of the idea of like that's how they build into the contract is that like okay, we're the only twelve inch Marvel, or we're the only yeah. ten inch Star Trek, or yeah. and I think part of that too is segregating the market. I think now they know that the collectors want the like the Black Series, the Legends, these nicer six inch figures, and then you have your bigger, huge scale ones, and then you have the ones that people just smack together to play with and kind of giving them all a cohesive narrative in the marketplace distinguishes one from the other and justifies a price tag. I feel like the Star Trek toys were in a way trying to find that, but never quite hit it. They were just sort of like, here is all of it. Yeah. Pick and choose. Well, that, and that's another thing, too, is like even in the terms of branding the line, so when they first started out, they started out with Next Generation. Right. And, they, and they're... Packages say Star of the Next Generation. And then they did TOS. So it said, just said Star Trek. And then when D Space Nine premiered, it said D Space Nine. And then when Voyager premiered, it said Voyager. And they all had different looking packages. They had the different shows' logos. And then somewhere in 96, 97, when Star Trek was at the height of heights, by the way, fun fact Star Trek's the first cinematic universe. 
Yeah. It's Star Trek because when First Contact, when Generations is out there, they mention stuff in D Space Nine. D Space Nine's on the air, Voyager's on the air. First cinematic universe. Does that predate stuff like Frankenstein versus Dracula uh, from the old monster mm, horror movies? Maybe, maybe not, but I don't know. I, 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 For me, it's the first one that actually crosses into television and film and yeah. actually references each other. They all reference each other. That is, so. Yeah, that's true. Um, now, none of the characters really cross. Well, Worf, Worf is the character that crosses. He's in all he's in all things. So he actually is better than Phil Coulson in Marvel Universe. Yep, I'm mad about that. I would argue that the first like interconnected cinematic universe was the Gary Marshall universe of Happy Days, <laughs> Laverne and Shirley, Mork and Mindy. I'll give you that. All right. That's a fair point. Just because I like that universe a lot. So I'll give it. I'll, I, I will concede the point. But yeah, somewhere in 96, at the height of, I do think that's the height of Star Trek. It's like when we had two shows on the air and TNG was like pumping out movies that were hits. Yeah. They just rebranded it all as Star Trek. And they made, I just showed you that packaging, I just, that picture I just showed you where it just said Star Trek. And then characters from every show and every movie were m- intermingled across lines. So in a when they would release a new wave, you'd be at like Beverly Crusher with Spock, with an Andorian, with the Doctor from Voyager. And it like just started really making not any sense at all about who they put in what lines. And you know, they released like Q dressed as a pirate. I'm not joking, that figure yeah. is real. Um, and I also think that was a sign of the end, where they just I think I think them diluting the brand as like no, it's all Star Trek. See, I, I I like that. I I like the intercon- I like the interconnectivity of it, and I liked that. One of the things that was really appealing to me about that line is no matter what era of Star Trek the figures came from, they all had like a uniform style mm-hmm. to I think them. They were numbered, too. yeah, and, and like I. I really liked that. I liked that, like, you could get something from a show from the 60s or mm-hmm. the 90s, but it had, a, it had a very similar style to it. At what point did you start exploring other Star Trek outside of Next Generation? Because that's what hooked you. That's what brought you in. How soon were you going back to the original stuff? Uh, I mean, it took me a couple seasons to get to, um, I think it was like around season three or season four. I can remember specifically because up to that point, I think, to be honest with you, I had, I think before Encounter at Farpoint, I had seen a Star Trek movie. I had seen one of the big screen adventures, but I don't remember. But I think I knew who Captain Kirk was and I knew who Captain Spock was. But it wasn't really until they had an episode called Sarek where Spock's father shows up on TNG. It's in season three that I was really like, oh, they are connected. Holy cow. Um, and, but, we weirdly didn't have cable, so I had to like watch TOS episodes on VHS tapes from the library. So I was forced. I was very limited about why what they had. So I've I've seen Charlie X, Balance of Terror, and the Corvite Maneuver a lot because they were on one videotape, and uh, that's probably why the Corvite Maneuver is my favorite episode of the original series. But um, yeah, from there it just led into everything else because you know TNG spins off D Space Nine, D Space Nine spins off Voyager. And uh, Enterprise just sort of shows up. So, like, each successive one, I just was there. I was I was there, like, episode one. Uh, and when D Space Nine premiered, it was a big thing, too. I remember um, – it was weird, I remember, because this was the first time when I was a kid I remember realizing what syndication was. Because TNG was on NBC, 
And then the ABC affiliate bought D Space Nine. And for the premiere episode of D Space Nine, they showed it the same hour as TNG. Uh, so I had to decide. I decided which one I was going for. I went D Space Nine because it was the new one. But um, I remember being like, "What the hell? What is this? They it, Star Trek should be on the same channel." Um, yeah, the ABC affiliate pissed me off. So, <laughs> so have you now gone back and watched everything? I have. I, I, I've watched everything with the exception of the animated series. I've only seen that sporadically because I just don't think it's good. Don't think it's good. That's fine. It's, it's not There's really a great. lot of Star Trek out there. You don't need to spend time yeah, with yeah. stuff you don't like. But I've seen all of the live action episodes. Um, I've probably watched. I've probably watched TNG all the way through every episode. Probably three times. And I've watched D Space Nine about three times. D Space Nine is my favorite of the series, if you were to ask me to pick which one. Let's say I wanted to justify my owning of these rare Star Trek figures <laughs> uh, and dive in to Star Trek more. Because like I said, I, I am a fan. I do enjoy it. Um, if I wanted to really dive in at this point in my life, where would you suggest starting? Do yeah, I like The series. Yeah. Do I go back and watch the first show? Do I start... From the pilot? Mm, no. Okay. I, the sad thing is, is I almost think you cannot start on the pilot of any of the shows. Of any of them. Even Discovery. I don't think you can start the pilot of any of them. Enterprise is the only one that I think you can do that with. But I don't think you enjoy Enterprise without the understanding what that universe is. I would recommend um, Season 3 of The Next Generation. is probably your best entry point. Because... It took them two seasons to figure out what the show is. Season three is really good. Or another idea, as I would say, is possibly consider just starting with the best of both worlds, which is the Borg episodes. That's the finale of season three. Because season four, season five, and season six of TNG is amazing. And if you like best of both worlds, you're going to like basically every episode of Star Trek ever. So it's like it's a good start. But once you have the foundation of TNG... Then I would say consider, you know, your tastes. If you if you want to watch uh, the original series because you're interested in Captain Kirk, you can start with episode one. Get ready. It's going to be a little bit rough. Um, but if you have the appreciation of the universe, I think you can enjoy the old 60s stuff. But if you want to watch some serialized stuff or a television series that was way ahead of its time, start season one of Deep Space Nine and go all the way to season seven because the character arcs in that series are... I think some of the best character arcs of television just in general. It's such a well-written series. So, But you kind of need to understand what Klingons are and what Frangie are and all that stuff like that. And that's what TNG is good at. TNG is very episodic. Mystery of the week, planet of the week, alien of the week. But D Space Nine is all about, yeah, but how does this father and son deal with the alien or deal with the thing? So if I, if I feel story? like I know enough about the different species and stuff. You, you, you say jump in with deep space. Nine. No d- episode one, deep space nine and don't skip an episode. I feel like I know a little bit. Like I've, mm-hmm. I've seen, I've seen all the movies. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I've seen first contact probably 50 times. I love that movie. I, uh, when I, <laughs> when I was a kid, uh, I would always hack our cable boxes <laughs> To get free pay-per-view. Instead of uh, being able to play like a pay-per-view on demand, mm-hmm. uh, there were just channels that played the same movie over, over and over, over again. And you would have to like tune in at a specific time and buy it. 
but if you cracked the cable box and were able to hack it, you could just get it to display these channels without paying for it. Yeah. And I did this a couple of summers in a row, but I could only get one or two channels at a time. And one summer, one of the channels I got was just playing First Contact. <laughs> and I watched it over and over and over again. I was started like, different. oh my, I know everything about it. Like, that's my Star Trek knowledge. I can tell you anything about Zephyr and Cochrane. That is, I mean, I think First Contact is probably the second best Star Trek movie next to Wrath of Khan. Huh. So that's like, that's a good one to see on Wii. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. I'm, I, I, there's several people that are encouraging me to dive into Star Trek and start watching it. You should. I, I would say, like, Again, D Space Nine, and this is the reason why it's my favorite, it takes everything about Star Trek that Next Generation and Gene Roddenberry kind of put out there, like the idea of a better society and, and you know, we can all work together even if you are a green, purple alien thing that I hate. Uh, we can all work together, and it kind of makes it more adult. It pushes it to a further level. Now, with D Space Nine, I will warn, there every Star Trek series, every Star Trek series has a learning curve, all of them, and I don't know why, but they all do. TOS takes about a season. TNG takes three seasons. D Space Nine takes about two seasons because it's third season. It locks in and you're just like, oh, we're a serialized show and we're just going to be a serialized show. Um, But those first two seasons, you can kind of tell D Space Nine is just copying TNG where it's like instead of going to the planet of the week, the alien just comes to the space station because it's a space station (laughs) show. So like, you know, oh, Q showed up again. (laughs) But at least like Cisco punches Q in the mouth so you can live with it. I, that, that's a that's a thing that works about about D Space Nine is that Avery Brooks, uh, Captain Cisco is a little bit angrier, and he I, he's kind of what I think we would be if we were in the Star Trek world. Like, there's a lot of times where he calls Star Trek aliens out on their bullshit, whereas Captain Picard was just like, "Yes, I'll negotiate with you, Mole. Have some tea." Whereas like Avery Brooks punches the alien in the mouth and is like, <laughs> "Shut up." <laughs> so, do you have other Star Trek memorabilia besides the Playmates figures? Ah, uh, oh. um... Specifically for the Playmates, uh, I have recently, because this is a thing that happened when I started first working in the internet, is that a lot of the internet comments would be, you look like Commander Riker. I would get that a lot. So I sort of adopted this idea that I am sort of this weird son of Riker. Um, So I started collecting random Commander Riker stuff, just this sort of thing. And I don't even like Commander Riker that much. He's not the greatest first officer in the world, but uh, whatever. Uh, um, So I have... One of the playmates, Commander Riker, is in his uniform, but it's from the first three seasons, so he has a little V thing on there. Um, I have this action playmates, Commander Riker, which is like, that's the six-inch line, and if you squeeze his legs, he fires a uh, thing. Um, and then I have um, something. Oh, oh! I, recently I just bought um, the McFarlane. They released two Star Trek action figures. They released Captain Picard in his uniform, so I finally have a Captain Great. Picard in his correct uniform and this William Shatner and they look amazing. I mean, McFarlane's always done a good job, but these look, it looks like Patrick Stewart and it looks like William Shatner. It's amazing how well it looks like them. Um, so besides that, no, it's weird. Um, the Star Trek things that I always felt, I always felt more passionate about collecting the ships than I did the people. So I have Eagle Moss is this company that does these little like six inch, ship models or whatever and they're like kind of made of hard plastic so i have like my favorite ship in star trek is the defiant which is the ship of d space nine that they eventually get i so i have that 
And I have uh, the Enterprise E from First Contact because I love First Contact, and I also have the Phoenix, which is Zeph from Cochrane's ship. So like the little ships, and I and I've and I've held on to for years the little micro machine version, the glue versions of the little tiny ships that I love. Like I have the Enterprise E, I have like a, some of those here and there. But other than that, no, like I never really hardcore got into it again. Like I'll keep the Riker thing going, and I'll keep the thing. But I guess yeah, for me it was always like the ships. Right. It was always the ships in Star Trek more than the people, I guess, because the ships maybe represented the family acts, ep, uh, um, element of that, and I love that. I was that way with Star Wars for a yeah. long time, where it was just all about the ships. Yeah. I thought they were the coolest thing. And they were more fun to, like, as a kid, play with, because I could run around and zoom and make noises. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Although, oh, I, do, I, I forgot to mention this. Uh after my most recent DS9 rewatch, which was like, I think, three or four years ago, uh, I went to eBay and I bought the entire first series of the D Space Nine action figures. So I think it's a, like 10 or 12 of them, and it has everybody. Um, and I left them in package because I wanted it. And I, so they're in, they're in my office, right? They're all in a row. And it is funny to think about, like, again, Playmates making the weird people because in the very first series, they put Morn in there. And Morn is this giant, he's like seven feet tall, he's got the head of a mushroom, he's a very alien alien. He looks like kind of like a kind of a dumb, like if you saw him like in a cartoon, you'd probably be like, you thought, you would think his first words would be like, duh. Um, but he was a guy that never spoke. He never speaks one word in D Space Nine. He's sort of a joke of D Space Nine. Uh, and the reason why he's called Morn is because it's the reverse of Norm. Because he's the patron that always sits in Quark's bar in the, in the space station. And he's there in every episode, never says one word. Awesome. Yeah. But you he's definitely in, need that. He's in the premiere the line. line. They thought fans would be like, oh, yeah, Morn. That's what they're going to buy. There's always one or two where you're like, really? Like, it, yeah. it's, there's always that one. Yeah. Would you want to continue buying that Deep Space Nine line? Is there a part of you that wants to to finish off at least the Deep Space Nine figures from Playmates. No, not really. No, I think the first line is enough. Like, the only thing I would maybe want to get for that Deep Space Nine line is Cisco, famously, of all of the Star Trek captains, changes his look. Whereas, like, the rest of the Star Trek... Like, Janeway gets some new hairstyles, but all the rest of the Star Trek captains basically just stay the same the entire series. Cisco in Season 3, shaves his head and gets a goatee. Whereas in season one, he just has normal hair. And I heard that that was like always a big fight between the actor. Avery Brooks wanted to shave his head and have a goatee because that's the way he's looked for 20 years. And they were like, no, Star Trek captains must have. We have. I think the argument is they found out that they wanted to have a Star Trek captain with hair after Picard because Patrick Stewart is famously bald. Sure. <laughs> so they forced Avery Brooks to grow his hair. Uh, and they were like, Star Trek captains can't have beards. This is insane. Um, so they, they did make a Star Trek action figure with, it is Avery Brooks with a shaved head. Now, correct and, me if I'm incorrect. Star Trek was one of the first, if not the first shows to feature like an interracial kiss yeah. or something. No, big. no, it, it is the first show that featured that. And yet they were upset about a bald man or a hair. A bald black man. Interesting. A bald black man. They didn't want, I think, again, I think they didn't want two bald black captains. I think they, I think it was a marketing move is, what, is specifically what Distinguish it was. Distinguish them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, I don't. I think if I were to keep going with Star Trek, um, it would be. I think it'd be cool and funny and an interesting story to have in my house if I had every Riker. Just to be like, why Riker? 
well, let's tell me the story. I, I think know. it's so funny you say that because I was just talking to somebody about collecting, and I know a few people mm. who are just one character. Yeah. And I don't know that there's anybody that I love that much to just be like, I need every single Mario and Yoshi. I have every Nightwing, which is Dick Grayson, because they make very little of it, and uh, that's my favorite comic book character is Dick Grayson. And then, uh, but specifically as Nightwing, not as Robin. That's a good choice. Um, yeah, there's there literally like if you look across the medium, there's there's like 28 pieces. That's not that much. Uh, but I do also because I'm I'm from Kansas. I grew up on a farm. Superman's my guy. Uh, he's my second guy. I do. I, it kind of started as a joke, and now it has ballooned into a like. I probably have a display that has 80 figures on it. Awesome. Um, so it's Superman. I have like a, a giant display of like everything and anything Superman. And now it's become this idea where my wife, uh, for Christmas or an anniversary, like she'll give me a new Superman action figure to add that list because there are. I'll, I will never collect every Superman action figure or thing that has ever been made. It's impossible. Right. It is impossible. So, and I think that makes it kind of a fun challenge. Like I have some really weird ones. I have like a Superman that has a gun. Apparently in the nineties they made a Superman with a gun. What? He's a, he, has, he has his black death suit and he's holding a gun. And I'm so it's like, like a Clark Kent with a gun. No, no, it's like it's like mullet nineties Superman. Oh, okay. But he apparently when he brought him back with a black suit, they gave him like a giant Rob Liefeld rifle. What? And I have that action figure. That's awesome. <laughs> um, and then I have um, uh, I have uh, there's a Superman that looks exactly like Christopher Reeve. That like great. That NECA made like a four or five. It's it's insane how weirdly it looks like him. Uh, but I'll also put the variations. Like to me, Bizarro goes in that collection, but um, and Crypto gets to join that collection. But of course, but there's some weird. There's some. I like the idea. I like to look across it and be like, I can't believe they made that one. I can't believe that made. Like I have one where Superman has laser parts. Like there's parts of his arms that are clear, see-through red plastic, and you're just like, why did they make that? Like why did they think that's the, what the kids would go for? They always did. Yeah, yeah. One of the interesting things. You know, talking about like the Deep Space Nine and stuff. One of the interesting things about the Star Trek line to me is that I know a lot of people who are perfectly happy buying just like a few mm-hmm. where I know so many people with other lines where they're completists. They have to have yeah. every figure. But for the Playmate Star Trek line in particular, and I think I, this is true with like the, the Playmates Simpsons line, too. I know a lot of people that just like pick and choose Mm -hmm. and just have a few here and there. And they didn't try to go do the whole 350. I think it's overwhelming. I think there's a part of it that's overwhelming. There's a part of it where it is like, I don't, I don't need the same mold in three different colors. Like I, I I don't, uh, this is for myself speaking, but like, I, I think there's also a display aspect to that. Right. Of like, I collect all those Amiibos from Super Smash Brothers. There's like 60 of them that I have now. And every now and then I look at that shelf and I'm like, man, this is a great set. There are so many things here, though, that it is like you need to really look at it. And I think the difference between like having 80 Superman figures and yeah. that is there's an aesthetic across the board of Superman. Mm-hmm. You look at that wall and you can kind of it's take it all in at once. Yeah. yeah. Where something like 400 Star Trek figures becomes one of those 3D photos you have to look at until it pops out at you. And like I think if you're a display person, it's just like, well, at, some, at a certain point, this is just going to look messy. I wonder, because you mentioned Simpsons as well, I wonder if because something that Star Trek and Simpsons have in common is the world aspect. 
the idea is that you're not there for a singular character. You're there for the world. Yeah. And I wonder if that's the idea of like people like, so people will buy the part of that world that they love and yeah. then leave the rest alone. Yep. Yeah. I think you nailed it. And that's something that's very unique to these lines. Like you don't oftentimes see someone get a flash and an Aquaman and not get a Superman and a Batman. Yeah. Cause but with that, you're like, I want to get, I want the whole Justice the League. I want yeah. the Justice League. Yeah. Um, I also feel like more so than other lines, I know a lot of people that buy the ironic figures from this line. Like I know so many people that have just collected like the weirdest, like holodeck driven, like (laughs) turtles, Star Trek crossover. There are turtles, Star Trek figures. Yeah. I have almost considered buying them just because they're so ludicrous. I did too. I saw that. I was like, this would just be a great thing to have. (laughs) I, I, I think I have them. Uh, yeah, actually, I'm pretty sure I have oh, them. Yeah. yeah. And there's no context for those. No. There is no comic book or cartoon no, just or episode. Yeah, the turtles have been everything at this point. Yeah. I know it's great. <laughs> but no, but no mutant Star Trek figures. They didn't go the other way. No, with like no mutant rock and roll <laughs> <Picard>. <laughs> yeah. or soccer player uh, Spock. I would, Borg Shredder. Like I would <laughs> buy a rock and roll Picard in oh a heart. <laughs> Without having ever seen the show, I would buy a rock and roll Picard. If I was a major Star Trek fan, and I had collected the Playmates line, and had every Picard, and (laughs) now they're making a new Picard show, I would want a new Picard in that scale from that line. Oh, man. And I don't think Playmates is getting that license back, and that's just going to be that would be so frustrating. Hire one of those custom guys. Yeah, I'd have to make a custom older Picard. You know, it's funny that we've gotten this far down the line talking about Playmates, and we haven't talked about the biggest flaw of this line. All right, hit me. All right, it's that every action figure, the men and the women, have a V crotch. So if you try to sit any of these action figures on their bridge command set. They are like they, they man spread out hard, and sometimes they just look weird if you have them sit down. Well, a lot of people look weird when they do that move, but it's but it's, but it's weird because at the time there were the X Men line and the Spider Man line yeah. that had the male T right like legs. So why didn't Playmates do that? I think cost time yeah, cost. Yeah. I also think they used the same molds pretty much over and over again. It looked mm-hmm. like to me. I don't but know for the, sure. The turtles had V. I think, right? Well, that's a whole other anatomy set. Mm, there's a yeah, shell. Yeah. There's a calacula. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, think, that, I think even for the characters that didn't have shells, because I remember having, like, the Mondo mm-hmm. Gecko, and he just has a pair of shorts on, and I think he has a V-crotch. Like, it's yeah. like, if you try to, he can't, he stands very weird on his skateboard. And so, yeah, everybody across the Playmates line sits weird. You always have to, they always have to be standing or else they look weird. Again, the part of the reason why when you guys asked me to do this podcast, why I select Playmates is because Playmates is the only action figure line I can think of where there are so many of, there's so many instances of why did they make that? Why, who needs a full, a life-size tricorder? Well, I do, but, uh, but besides that, you know. No, we need all, we need a rock and roll Picard. Rock and roll Picard. (laughs) Where's that? Like, Like every shuttlecraft you could imagine, they've made it. There, even one of the cooler playsets to me of Star Trek that Playmates made is not even the bridge. They made the Enterprise D engineering set. So you had this little, the little warp core I was just talking about. You had the little warp core. You had like Jordy's little station, and then they had this like little play function into it where it could break, and then you had to engineer and fix it. 
for it to like start up again. That's huh. insane. Why would you make that? Why? <laughs> uh, one last thing I want to mention about this line. Uh, the Playmates line is still very affordable to collect. 100%, yeah. I know a few people that just in the last like five years started collecting it. Yeah. And you can still That's get them for... I feel like you can still get them for just about retail. Yeah. Yeah, you can. It's, it, I think because they mass produced so many, it's just, I think it's the same exact thing of the Star Wars nineties line. Yeah. There were, they just, there's so many of them. And I think too, because it might've been a line that a lot of people didn't buy. It was a niche line that that's why there's so many. Yeah. You can go any comic book convention you go to, you will see a rack of Star Trek playmates, action figures. And to be honest with you, again, part of the reason why there it's a great line to collect is the idea that like you can pick up some of the weird ludicrous characters like yeah Beverly Crusher dressed like a 1930s nurse why I don't know it's there um, or you can get you know Captain Picard in a normal uniform and you can find that damn figure somewhere I but, do love uh, that toys don't do that anymore there's no more like there are I guess Spider-Ham just showed up in Marvel but that's, that's about right. to not be a weird figure mm. like that's about to just be a character in Spider-Man but Star Trek would do an entire wave of weird figures and that's what I mean is I feel like there's no more Marvel Legends of just like here's these bizarre deep cut whatever here's the janitor of the helicarrier right know? yeah here's like Jarvis when he was a real butler <laughs> yeah <laughs> you can get many of these Star Trek Playmates action figures for five bucks a pop, which is what they were priced when they came out. So, yeah, so if Picard Mania sweeps the nation with this new show, these figures are going to be easy for you are they to. Are calling it Picard? Uh, I don't think they've decided on a title yet. I hope but they don't to be just honest, call it Picard. It wouldn't surprise me if they just call it Picard. I heard they're calling the new show Here's Something to Keep You Alive, You Lonely Incel. Stardate 45484.7. While exploring a planet near the neutral zone, the Enterprise shuttlecraft comes under disruptive cannon fire from a Romulan warbird. The shuttlecraft fires back with its phasers, which are deflected by the Romulan shields. Suddenly, the Enterprise appears, firing her photon torpedoes. Outgunned, the Romulan warbird activates its cloaking device and is gone. Under impulse power, Enterprise maneuvers out of orbit before engaging warp drive. Star Trek The Next Generation New Action Accessories from Playmates. Well, that was Jason Inman, everybody. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Jason. Of course, you can follow him at Jawin on Twitter. That's J-A-W-I-I-N. He's the writer of Jupiter Jet Comics. You can also follow that on Twitter at Jupiter Jet Comic. And he does a weekly podcast called The Geek History Lesson. And obviously, you can find Justin and I at How Do You Figure Podcast. You can email us at HowDoYouFigurePodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at HowDoYouFigurePC. On Instagram at HowDoYouFigurePodcast and on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash how do you figure and of course leave us a five-star review on itunes and we'll see you guys next week